Alrighty, we are back. Same day recording. Next day releasing. It is Unqualified Analysis, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Caleb Verzak. Uh, did I mention it's the show with zero credentials? Uh, zero qualifications that just can't figure out what the words are. But hey, still chugging along. Third episode of the week. It is a grind this week, ladies and gentlemen. And your boy is taking the day off on Friday. I will tell you that much. But we have got one more loaded one for you today, getting through the college football episode before we get into the weekend and get into this jam-packed weekend of both college and NFL football. Can't wait to get into it. Uh, first off, let's look at last week. Uh, we had a murder in Manhattan, assault in the big house, a lot of crimes going on in the football field here and off the football field, quite frankly. And the matchup of the season is here coming up in week 10. But first, before we get into any of the college football, let's stop off and, well, add a story that I cannot honestly believe I forgot in the uh, in the bonus episode here. But hey, might as well include now, better late than never. Dan Snyder um, didn't put the team up for sale, but is now working with Bank of America to possibly sell part or all of the team. Um, what does this mean? I don't know because he does own 100% of the team. So in theory, it's a five, $5 billion and change uh, franchise, I believe, in value. He could sell like 49% of that if he just needed some extra capital for whatever legal battle he's about to go through with the NFL to keep his team um, and just, you know, not not have anyone be happy ever. Or he could sell the whole thing, take the windfall, and then just go on his merry way. I don't know what I don't know what the the thing is here. I was initially more optimistic about it than uh, than I am now. But the more I think about it, like they they all but said like, hey, all the options are on the table. I don't. They they've been very vague as to whether they want to sell the entire team or just raise some capital. Um, those mean two very different things. Raising capital means you're getting a war chest together for a fight. Um, selling the whole team means you're just getting the hell out of Dodge. One of those is a much more preferable outcome for the NFL because if he's building up a war chest to fight, uh, I mean, say what you will about the guy. He is a scumbag, but I'll tell you what, ain't ain't nobody, ain't nobody is going to put up a fight like Dan Snyder will, and that is not going to be fun for just about anyone in the league. They're going to have to be trotting uh, Jim Irsay out there a lot because, again, he's the he's the only one without skeletons in his closet because the skeletons were just thrown the street at one point. So it is what it is at this point. Uh, that being said, not really a whole lot to glean from this. It's a, it's a developing story at this point. It's something to keep an eye on. It's, another, it's the latest chapter in this whole uh, will he or won't he saga of will he sell the team... Uh, is he going to get out of here while he can? Is he going to stay and fight? We still don't rightly know, but it seems like we're moving closer and closer to a resolution to all the details becoming more clear. It does seem quite obvious that he's going to sell part of the team. Maybe not a majority stake or the entire team, but he's definitely going to sell part of the uh, of the Washington franchise there. So that'll be interesting to watch Nonetheless, uh, with that said, not really a whole lot else, not not really a whole lot of meat on the bone there for that discussion. Other than to say, if he does end up selling the whole team or a majority stake, I think it's pretty clear the front runner, probably Jeff Bezos to buy that team. Like, 
like even from and I was I was talking about this with a with a friend earlier today, just like texting back and forth. But even thinking from a cold investment perspective, yes, five plus billion dollars, like as a nominal number for lack of a better word that I couldn't find in my brain there. Um, that's, that's a big number, sure. But at the same time, you got to think it's only that low because Dan Snyder has mismanaged the business so much that it is now an undervalued asset. Like this is how... This is how people make a whole lot of money in the stock market. It's finding assets, uh, especially if they have the, the capital to just take the whole damn thing over and then put people in charge that can run it better, at least in, in, from a shareholder value perspective. That is exactly what, what Jeff Bezos would probably see in this. I mean, Dan Snyder has run that franchise into the ground, but it's got a loyal fan base. Uh, it's got a proud history. And if you get that thing right, that is that thing will absolutely print money for the next person. It's already printing money for Dan Snyder and he's just sitting on that thing like an oil baron and doing nothing about it. Imagine if Jeff Bezos is in there with his exponential growth mindset or whatever those like weird upper echelon billionaires of the billionaires think uh, about nowadays. Either way, that, that'll be an interesting sort of thing. Won't know. I mean, that's probably the, the cool, well, I don't know. At this point, whole world's going to hell anyways, so might as well have a good time doing it, right? I mean, that would be a fun little little dramatic outcome there if Jeff Bezos gets into the NFL. He would be like, I think Jeff, Jeff Bezos might have more like net total net worth than all the other owners combined. So that would be a fun little uh, that'd be a fun little pissing match there that he would win immediately. Like, oh, whatever luxury tax you play. I mean. I'm a, I'm a gajillionaire. I can go to space whenever I want. Yeah, sure, I'll pay that shit. I don't care. Like, <laughs> like Jeff Bezos can do whatever he wants. So, I mean, either way, um, I've already talked about this probably too much. So, let's just get into college football, shall we? Away away with the NFL, though I'm just obsessed with it. Either way, uh, college football week nine coming at you. College football week nine. All righty, and kicking off the matchups as I take a quick sip out of my coffee, changed up which caffeinated drink it was, but it is still caffeinated because, boy, I'm run all the way through the ground right now. Give me just a second. Ah, that's a good, ah, good, good, ah, good comb there. All right, we are starting off with the marquee matchup of the week, at least rankings-wise, I think it was. Uh, Ohio State versus Penn State. That is 2 versus 13 in the AP rankings. And, hey, Penn State kept it competitive for a while there. They got it to 14-13 at the half. Uh, Ohio State took the lead with a field goal in the third to make it 16-14 going into the fourth. But it was a wild fourth quarter from there as Ohio State's offense came alive, scoring three straight touchdowns. Uh, it was the de- the defense, though, with star JT Tuamaloal. Ooh, I think I butchered that. Let me, let me redo that. JT Tuamaloal. Tuamalau, yep, JT Tuamalau, got to get used to saying that name because he is an absolute stud in their number one recruit just two years ago. Uh, I think he's still got another year of eligibility before he's even able to go to the draft, so get used to saying that name. He's probably going to be right up there at the top of draft charts here very, very soon, but he's the one that closed the deal for the Buckeyes down the stretch. He forced a fumble before grabbing a pick six to go up 20 with 242 remaining in the game. Uh, if you bet on the spread in this one, uh, got Penn State plus 13 and a half, you were elated. Um, if you had Ohio State minus 13 and a half, boy, 
was that was that last little stretch there brutal for you, man? Because <laughs> Ohio State they handled business going into a hostile environment and uh, pulled away in the fourth quarter against a very solid Penn State team, but they won forty-four to thirty-one. A uh, a measly thirteen points, just a a point short, and it was on a garbage time touchdown too that you got that cover from Penn State. I mean, just <laughs> you have to be disgusted if you were betting on Ohio State in that one. You are throwing your phone out the window and probably crying into your pillow because you just lost a a hefty sum of money. Because I know I thought Ohio State was going to come in here and just beat the hell out of Penn State. I mean, obviously that was foolhardy of me. They were going they were going into Penn State. I mean, I know Ohio State has like a full NFL offense, but I mean, it is still it is still Penn State. It is still home and I think it is I mean, it was like packed house too. Ohio State versus Penn State. That one's going to be packed every single time. So, great home field advantage in that one. Oh, give me just a second here. All righty. Moving along here. Some notable performers, quarterback C.J. Stroud went 26-33, 78.8%, 354 yards, 10.7 yards per attempt, only one touchdown, though. I mean, no turnovers, so that's all you can really ask, but a little bit, uh, a little bit of a down day. I mean, hey, if you're going just below 79% completion, over 10 yards per attempt, uh, and 350 yards, and that's your down day, I think you're, think you're a pretty damn good quarterback, so I think C.J. Stroud can at least take solace in that. Uh, running back Travion Henderson had the hot hand today in that two-headed backfield of fucking terror for opposing defenses. Uh, he had 78 yards, 4.9 yards per carry, and two tutties on the day. Mayan Williams was pretty quiet. I think Travion Henderson, they just rolled with him because he had the hot hand when it was all uh, said and done. Uh, wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. really coming alive on the outside with Jackson Smith and Jigba banged up, and Emeka Abuka kind of banged up as well. He had 10 receptions, 185 yards, failed to make it into the end zone, but he is really becoming a force on the outside, looking a whole lot like his pops out there. I mean, that's really all you can ask for out of him. Um, by the way, JT2 Malau, getting that name right a little bit closer every single time. He had a full-ass stat line. I mean, a full month stat line, really. Um, two sacks, one forced fumble, and a 14-yard pick six to go up 20 in the fourth. He was the number one recruit in 2020, and he showed you exactly why he was that back then, because he took this game on his back and won it all by himself down the stretch there. On Penn State side, Sean Clifford had a fairly prolific day, just kind of fell apart down the stretch. He was uh, 32 of 47, uh, just above 68% completion, 371 yards, just below eight yards per attempt, three touchdowns, but whole, whole lot of turnovers, three interceptions, one fumble lost. And I mean, if you're throwing three touchdowns and you still aren't positive in the interception to turnover ratio, that is just simply not going to cut it. I mean, it was great for a long time there. Uh, maybe not converting as many touchdowns until the fourth quarter, but man, kind of fumbled it. I mean, no pun intended, but that's kind of what happened. Fumbled it down the stretch there. Uh, running back Katron Allen had a solid performance, didn't get a whole, whole lot of touches, but did the most he could with the touches he got. Uh, 76 yards on the ground, 6.3 yards per carry, and a touchdown in that category. Also, two receptions, 13 yards, and a touchdown to bring his total both through the air and on the ground to two 
for the day. Uh, and hey, with that big old number that uh, Sean Clifford had in the passing game, you had to know at least one receiver was going to put up some gaudy numbers. And wide receiver Parker Washington took home the cake there. 11 receptions, 179 yards, and a touchdown for Washington on the day. My key takeaways for this one, starting with Ohio State, and it's looking specifically at that backfield because we already know what more can we say about this team. I mean, hey, we can go into detail about how JT Tuomalau adds a bit more of a defensive edge that we haven't seen from Ohio State in the past couple years to go with that insane offense that they always seem to be trotting out there. I mean, that's a discussion you can have. I think that's probably something. I mean, I need something to fill these episodes with over the next several weeks, so I'm sure I'll get there at some point. Uh, especially as they get to this later portion of the season, getting closer and closer to that that looming Michigan matchup to end the season. But no, for right now, sticking with the offensive side, looking at that backfield, uh, the experience that Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson are getting by splitting reps right now, it's going to pay dividends for them adapting to that near certain reality at the next level. Because face it, neither of these guys are probably like bell cow material at the next level. And... In the modern NFL, there's not really any bell cows unless you are like top five, top three generational sort of running back. Like think about Derrick Henry's, Dalvin Cook's, uh, Christian McCaffrey. Those are the only types of players you see getting those sorts of workloads at the next level. So it's good to be at the college level, not getting all those miles on your knees too before you even get to a point where you're getting paid good money for it. I mean, sure, you're getting NIL money. But that's nothing compared to the pro money, especially if you get a good uh, good draft position as well. I think getting this experience now, getting used to splitting carries and building up personal momentum that way, instead of, you see a lot of these guys coming out of college, they're not going to be a bell cow at the next level, but in college they are getting 25, 30 carries a game. They're used to working themselves into a rhythm, right? Like, getting two, three yards kind of back to back to back and getting the opportunity to still kind of break one off later on like the 25th, uh, 26th carry. Like you see see that with Blake Corum right now. He's getting a bajillion carries a game. He's not going to get that at the next level. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit more of an, an adjustment period for him. With these guys splitting carries now, they're learning early on before they even get to a point where it's high leverage reps where you could lose your job at any given time there. I mean, obviously, they're going to get some cushion coming into the league because they're probably both going to be fairly high draft picks. But, I mean, by running back standards, I still don't think either probably will be first rounders. But I, I digress on that front. Either way, this is the experience they're going to get at the next level. They're going to be splitting carries. They're going to be splitting reps. They're not going to be able to get into this rhythm where they have three downs to kind of get it together and feel out of defense and get in a rhythm with their offensive line. No, they got to build that stuff up quick and they got to be comfortable the second they come in there. Kind of like being a bench player in the NBA. That's kind of what this splitting carries backfield is like. And the quicker that you can catch on to that and the quicker that you can be successful in that mold, I mean, the more dynamic they can be at the next level right away. And in the long run, the more money these guys are going to make, especially not having to put all those miles on their legs before they really are able to earn good money for it. Like this is at every level you look at it, Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson are getting the best possible experience 
as running backs could get in the in the NCAA at this point in uh, in the modern football game. Those guys are doing it completely right. Uh, that that's not really to say anything about the the team itself. That's just to say I really like what they're doing as far as getting experience and preparing themselves for the next level. And this is going to help with recruiting going forward because I mean they've had a million NFL running backs come out of there. Both of these guys are probably going to go up to the next level and do fairly well. It just kind of depends on what situation they go into. Just going to keep feeding into itself, and the rich are just going to keep getting richer. Ryan Day doing a hell of a job over there with Ohio State. On the other side, looking at Penn State, uh, I'm not a bully, so I won't kick Penn State while they're down. They put up a good fight for the most of it, for, mo- uh, for most of the game. Goodness gracious, uh, Sean Clifford just couldn't close the deal. They are who they are at this point. Are they ever going to get the coaching plus the players lined up at the right time to ever challenge Ohio State? Ohio State is the Alabama of the of the North and Midwest, pretty much. The Alabama of the Big Ten, if you will. They are the juggernaut that no one can ever really knock off except for Michigan every couple years. Uh, seems to be like every year nowadays. We'll have to see uh, if that continues to go, how long Harbaugh maintains the success up there, but I, I digress on that front as well. Either way, they're still gonna finish with a solid record. They're just you're just gonna know you're you're not quite on that playoff level. And you won't be on that playoff level until the playoff expands another eight teams in a few years. So yeah, look forward to that. I suppose you'll have a puncher's chance at that point. Uh but until then, I guess look forward to bowl season. You get you can Hope to really make the conference and your school look good by embarrassing someone in that matchup. But uh, yeah, other than that, not uh, not, a, not a whole lot doing on that front. But moving from the Big Ten over to the SEC, after I take a quick sip out of my uh, hot cafe. Well, it was hot. It's kind of warm now. <sighs> still hot enough. Still hot enough. Um, either way, number 19, Kentucky. Number 3, Tennessee. I said I thought Kentucky was going to cover, and boy, I could not have been more wrong. I'll tell you what, man, it was 27-6 to 6 at halftime, and I knew, I mean, it didn't take me until halftime to figure it out that I was wrong. I mean, I knew I was wrong immediately. I mean, the second that the first Tennessee offensive possession went out there, I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to lose that money. That ain't coming back, and I can't cash it out now. That's going to hurt. Uh, and they, it certainly did. I will, I will tell you that much. I mean, they looked like their usual self Tennessee did. They were unstoppable on offense. Then they just piled on mercilessly in the second half while the, the Tennessee defense just ground Will Levis into dust. I think, I don't know if all three of Will Levis' interceptions were in the second half, but he, they forced him into three interceptions. We'll get a little bit deeper into his numbers in a second. Uh, Tennessee avoided the trap game in emphatic fashion, blowing the doors off Kentucky 44-6 to to stay unbeaten and set up the matchup we have all been waiting for. I'm just going to leave it on on the tip of my tongue. You all know what it is. It's looming there. It's right there, right behind me as I speak right now. But boy, I I cannot wait for this week. It is going to be a treat. Notable performers in this one, though. For Tennessee, Hendon Hooker, usual sort of Hendon Hooker day. 19-25, 76% completion. 245 yards through the air, so just below 10 yards per attempt. Four touchdowns, three through the air, one on the ground to the tune of zero, count them, zero turnovers on the day. And, of course, the, the running game, its usual 
strong self there. Running back Jalen Hyatt had the had the big flashy numbers. Only seven carries on the day, but 73 yards, 10.4 yards per carry, one touchdown. And Jalen Hyatt, probably the Bolitnikoff winner at this point. He's running away with it, especially, I mean, if you're putting up these types of numbers in the SEC, you're, you're just about on the doorstep. He had another two touchdowns, five receptions, 138 yards uh, in another blowout. Also, they just got back Cedric Tillman, so that is a force to be reckoned with over there. That is a high-octane offense. I mean, not quite the 2019 LSU offense. It's going to probably hinge on what the pro prospects of all these teams are because uh, we'll, we'll get to it, in a, it. We'll get to it in a second. We'll get to it in a second. Uh, on Kentucky's side, quarterback Will Levis, 16 of 27, just below 60%. Didn't reach 100, 100 yards, got tantalizingly close at 98. Uh, 3.6 yards per attempt. That is gross, disgusting, awful. Uh, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Yeah, it's it's not awesome. Not awesome over there in, in Kentucky. When you don't have a line to uh, protect in your running game, isn't doing a goddamn thing because, well, the offensive line... You're not going to be able to do a whole lot, and hell, if if you're facing up against Tennessee um, with that offense on the other side, and your offense can't move, that's a problem. That's that's a problem, and that's that's when you get outcomes like we saw here. I mean, I my dumbass thought that they were going to cover plus twelve. They lost by thirty-eight. That was man. Sometimes you're really wrong, man. Sometimes you're really wrong, but that's gambling, folks. That's gambling. Uh, either way, running back Chris Rodriguez had 64 yards, 4.3 yards per carry, and a touchdown. Usually he's well over 100, so that is, I mean, it's a down day for a lot of guys. It's certainly a down day for Chris Rodriguez. Not that he got, I mean, the most opportunities in the world, given that they were down by so much. Probably a good amount of passing. Not a whole lot of opportunities in that end either, though. Tennessee just dominated on all fronts. 200, 205 total yards on offense for Kentucky in this one just Bad, putrid, awful. Throw it in the trash. It was. It was not good. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe they can bounce back next week. They've been known to do that. But uh, yeah, just a putrid performance from Kentucky in this one. Uh, my one key takeaway: nothing for Tennessee. I mean, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They beat the absolute piss out of a team that I was expected to come in and be competitive. And that's that's really what great teams do. They come out here and they beat the piss out of teams that they're supposed to beat. And you know what? That's that's exactly what they did. So, hey, great team in Tennessee. Not sure we actually learned that this week. It was just confirmed even more. On Kentucky's side, it is a uh, temperature cooling. It's temperature cooling season on some of these quarterback prospects. And I am looking squarely in the eyes of Will Levis right now as he squirts some mayonnaise in his coffee. You disgusting motherfucker. I mean, not not really. I'm just joking. I think Will Levis is actually like, a cool dude. I think he's probably like a fun guy to, to talk to and hang out with. Uh, that being said, I am more convinced than ever that either he needs to stay in college if he has an extra year of eligibility, which he's been in college forever now, so I don't know if he has another year of eligibility, or he needs to kind of cross his fingers, make a blood sacrifice or something, go down there to New Orleans, maybe see if some voodoo will do the trick. Um, and then just just hope that you can kind of get drafted by a team that has a, a good situation. Like, God help Will Levis if he goes to, like, the Texans. Or, uh, God, who's another uh, quarterback needy team that's always going to ruin their quarterback? Um, hmm, trying to think. be harsh to say the Jets. I mean, there's a lot of kind of well-run 
well-run teams at this point. I don't know. But you, you know what I mean. There's not not really... If, if he goes to the wrong situation... Oh, the, the Panthers. That's a perfect one right there. I mean, if he goes to the Panthers, he is dead, done, cooked, off. I mean, there's no, no way... He is going to be able to succeed in some of these situations. Again, I still kind of maintain, I mean, the situation matters more than just about anything for all of these players. Um, I think if he goes to the right situation still and has some time to sit and learn, he's a physically talented guy. He throws a hell of a deep ball. If he can kind of reel in some of the, the worst aspects of his game, uh, kind of harness some of the running ability a little bit. He's a, like I said, very physically talented guy. So you can do something with him. You just need to put him in a good situation to learn. Otherwise, he's going to implode and he's going to take the whole coaching staff and maybe the GM with you if you take him in the first round. So warning to you, warning to you. This feels like a big time, uh, big time commies pickup. That's that's one I should have put out there. If the commies pick this guy up. They're going to ruin his career, and they're going to ruin the entire franchise with it. So that's, you're, you're playing with fire. That's kind of the way it is with all these quarterback prospects. But, yeah, again, if you if you can, stay in school, Will Levis. You need a little bit more development going forward, though. Hey, maybe maybe the NFL is where the more development will come. Uh, I don't know. Either way, get a, get a time check, see what we're doing here. Yeah, 25 minutes. Or we're doing good on time. Uh, at number nine, OK State versus number 22, K-State. I think I said that about as dumb as possible. I might have had a brain aneurysm trying to get that out of my mouth. Uh, either way, what was billed last week as a classic Big 12 shootout by yours personally uh, turned out to be anything but on Saturday. At no point, not a single time in this game, did it feel like OK State was going to win it. Jeez, burping up, uh, burping up some coffee here. Ooh, excuse me. Uh, I was just, uh, it, or it was just a flat-out domination at all levels for K-State. And with their backup quarterback, Will Howard, no less. Let me just go down the list of just how dominant this, this performance was from K-State. K-State doubled up OK State in total yards, 495 to 217. They also had triple OK State's Yards per carry and almost quadruple their rushing yards. Uh, that's 5.4 yards per carry versus 1.8. Triple on the dot. I did the math. You don't have to do it yourself. That is service right there, ladies and gentlemen. Also, 199 rushing yards versus 54 rushing yards for OK State. Utter dominance there. And to top it off, Kansas State won the turnover battle 3 to nothing, uh, And that was just about all she wrote. Also... Why didn't no one tell me Mike Gundy's son is the backup quarterback at OK State? That is that is hilariously unsurprising to me. I mean, why does it feel like all of the incumbent coaches in all of college football and the NFL at all levels just say, fuck it, you're not going to fire me. I'm going to bring in my my son, uh, my, my brother-in-law, something or other. I'm just going to start bringing in family members to fill out my staff because I know you're not going to fire me. I know I have all the power here. Um, and I guess that's the point that we're at with Mike Gundy. And I guess when you're at that point, you tend to lose by 40-some points. Um, I don't know what happened there. He said in something, I, he said he did something in practice all week that put his team in a terrible position to, to, to win. I mean, obviously, obviously, obviously something was off. I'm not sure if that accounts for 48 points worth of off, but 
I mean, obviously something wasn't going right there. It was just not a not a great performance overall for OK State. Uh, classic, I can do whatever the hell I want move from Gundy, though, to keep his, uh, keep his son as the backup quarterback. And played a good amount of time in this one, too, because, again, they were down by 40 points for the entire fourth quarter, pretty much. So, yeah, not, not, a, not a wonderful day in the neighborhood for OK State. Notable performers in this one, though. Pretty much all of them were on the K-State side. Uh, Will Howard went 21-37, only 56.8% completion, but 296 yards, 8 yards per attempt, 4 touchdowns, no turnovers. That is a fairly prolific day, if I do say so. I mean, if we're going by Spencer Sanders' um, barometer here, I mean, hey, that's pretty much on the mark with what he does generally. Not a great uh, completion percentage, a whole lot of touchdowns. So here we are. Uh, running back Deuce Vaughn behind Will Howard had himself a day. 158 yards, 7.2 yards per carry, one touchdown. Also four receptions, 18 yards, and one touchdown through the air. He is really starting to build up his profile for that next level. That's the goal. Like it or not, you college football purists, that's the goal to get to the next level. And he is building up his profile big time, big time, big time. He is going to take some high-paid veteran's job at some point. It's just a matter of fact there. Also, wide receiver Malik Knowles, not a whole, I mean, he's a senior and he's been there at K-State for a while. Uh, he had an eight reception, 113 yards, zero touchdown day. And I'll tell you what, man, he's really exploding in this senior year. Might be making himself some money in that uh, in that way as well. Uh, wide receiver Cade Warner, uh, White Cade out here with five receptions, nine, 97 yards, and got two tutties on the day. Um, solid day. That is probably the understatement of the century, but solid day for K-State in all facets. On OK State side, Spencer Sanders. Ready for this stat line? 13 of 26, 147, 5.7 yards per attempt, zero duddies, one INT, and uh, went through it before, but the team rushing was 54 yards, 1.8 yards per carry, and zero, count them, zero touchdowns on the day. Utter dominance from Kansas State. Uh, key takeaways for me on this one, Kansas State may have lost to TCU last week, but with that, that was without Adrian Martinez. And a rematch feels inevitable. Uh, feels inevitable. Easy for me to say between those two teams in the Big 12 title game. Period. That feels like what this is coming down to. Uh, kind of a winner-take-all matchup for the Big 12 title. If TCU wins that one, probably push for a playoff spot. If K-State wins that one, Big 12's probably out of the playoff race. Whole lot at stake down the line. Getting very very ahead of myself on this one but again this feels like these are the two teams that are really separating themselves in the big 12 at this point everyone else has kind of gone through the gauntlet and sustained some losses it's only been k-state and tcu tcu has come out unscathed k-state has only been beaten by tcu and they have beaten down everyone else now this week, that does come with the caveat. They are playing Texas. That could be a dangerous one. I'm actually not sure if it's TCU or, or uh, K-State playing Texas. I can't can't quite remember off the top of my head. Either way, that's going to be a tough matchup for one of these teams. I, if I were a better host, I'd have that right here in front of me. But, boy, did I mention it has been a uh, – it's been quite a week. I am – yeah, I need a day off. I need a day off. That's for damn sure. So, I'm, I'm winging it off the top of my head for a lot of this. Um most of this last two episodes you've heard, not a goddamn, well, last three episodes you've heard at this point, not really 
I wouldn't say not a goddamn thing is written down on the sheet, but there's a good 70% of these podcasts that are just coming straight off the dome this week. So you're getting some unfiltered consciousness on the state of the game in both college and the NFL here. But I think that that pretty much signals that I'm done with talking about K-State. And, uh, well, that'll just about do it for OK State's Big 12 title hopes. I'd say they are now lost two big-time games in a pretty emphatic fashion. So, yeah, it is it is what it is, but that that's, that's all she wrote at this point. I mean, hope hopefully you get a good, uh, good bowl matchup down the line, but that's what you're playing for. You're playing uh, the spoiler role, and you're playing for bowl seating when it's all said and done now. This is... Uh, no championship aspirations for this OK State squad anymore at this point. It's un- unfortunate, but is what it is. Uh, let's move to um, I don't know wherever the hell Notre Dame's at. Catholic Land. That's their that's their conference, right? They don't have a conference, but uh, so Syracuse is in the ACC, and they went to Syracuse. So, hey, let's go to the ACC, shall we? Uh, as a fan of what Syracuse is building over there, I was hoping this would get be a get right game after their loss to Clemson last week. That's just not what happened, however. Garrett Schrader and the Syracuse offense couldn't get anything going in the first half as uh, Notre Dame took the early lead and just built on it. Notre Dame took a 21-7 lead into the half. Uh, Garrett Schrader did not return after the halftime after sustaining some sort of injury. Don't even know exactly what it was, uh, but he also wasn't exactly lighting up the scoreboard when he was in there. Uh, Carlos Del Rio Wilson, what a name there, came in in the third quarter and actually made it a seven-point game going into the fourth, but that's where the momentum and the good feelings just ran out there. All the fairy dust kind of ran out, turned back into a pumpkin at midnight, whatever stupid metaphor you want to use from there. Audric Estimi, Esteem, don't know how to pronounce that name, probably should have looked it up if I was a better host, closed out the orange with two quick rushing touchdowns to open up a three-touchdown lead. And that was pretty much all she wrote from there. That seems to be the phrase of the episode uh, at this point. Syracuse drops their second straight game as Notre Dame gets their fifth win in the last six contests. 41-24, to your final score. Notable performers in this one. Drew Pine, another standard Notre Dame quarterback game from a generic-looking white guy. 9 of 19, 116 yards, 6.1 yards per attempt, one touchdown, one interception, just a little bit below average. I think that's the, the general expectation for anyone who happens to be there at quarterback uh, for Notre Dame nowadays, or really ever at that point. I mean, it's always been overrated guys at quarterback in, in Notre Dame, but we don't have to get into that uh, discussion right now. Audric Estimi, Esteem, still don't know how to pronounce his name in the last, I don't know, couple minutes I've been... Just kind of dawdling along here with my speech. Uh, he had 123 yards on the ground, 6.2 yards per carry, and two tutties to lead the way. But it was a prolific performance in general from the entire team at Notre Dame there on the ground. 246 yards. They had 4.4 yards per carry and three touchdowns. Just buried Syracuse in a physical, dominant fashion up, to, up front there. Uh, also, speaking of physical up front, defensive end Isaiah Foskey for that Notre Dame defense had a sack and two tackles for loss on the day. That makes his total seven sacks in eight games this season. Again, talk about building your your pro pro your pro 
profile, once again, easy for me to say, as exactly what Isaiah Foskey is doing right now. He's been doing it for years, and he's continuing to do it now. He's probably going to end up being a first-round pick when it's all said and done. Uh, on Syracuse's side, quarterback Carlos Del Rio Wilson went even 11 of 22, solid 50% there. Uh, 190 yards, 8.6 yards per attempt, one touchdown, one interception. And Garrett Schrader was, simply put, worse. 4 of 15, 35 whole yards, uh, 2.5 yards per attempt, one touchdown, and one interception of his own. I think he might have had a rushing touchdown, but when you're passing 2.5 yards per attempt, doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter how many rushing touchdowns you have. That's just not going to cut it from the quarterback position. Uh, running back Sean Hunter, who is usually the star in this offense anyways, or Sean Tucker, rather, excuse me. Sean Hunter, totally, totally different high. He, he He's out there hunting milfs, I'll tell you that much. Sean Tucker, though, is out there hunting yards. Didn't do a very good job of it. Only 60 rushing yards, 3.8 yards per attempt. One tutty on the day. Did have four receptions for 32 yards through the air to kind of get close to that 100-yard Mendoza line for the uh, for the total yards from scrimmage. Didn't quite get there, though. Uh, Aronde Gadsden did get 19.5 yards per reception, but only four of those receptions. Hey, you do the quick math. Do you carry the one? Oh, yeah, 78 yards uh, on that. Uh, one tutty on the day for Aronde Gadsden. Not a, not a bad day overall, but uh, his team got shit-canned, so I think it might have not have been the greatest day in the world. Either way, my takeaways from this one, yep, already got to retract my uh, tentative Garrett Schrader as a pro prospect take. Um, this is, I mean, sure, the Clemson defense was good. Didn't play well against him last week. Um Notre Dame defense is good. Didn't play well against them this week. Sure got injured, but didn't play well before the injury. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, maybe stay in school. Maybe stay in school, Schrader. There's a, there's a lot of that going around right now. Maybe there, There's some prospects that have elevated their, their status, like Hendon Hooker, no doubt. I think he was probably like a late first, um, early second round pick before the season. I think he's much, much higher than that now. Still, I'm... Maybe the only one on this train, but I am strong on the train that he should be the number one overall pick. And I think he probably, not probably, I think he will be the number one overall pick when it's all said and done. A uh, little caveat, I am totally open to being wrong on that, though. Just just putting that out there. Uh, Garrett Schrader is not one of those guys that has raised his, uh, his profile too much. He raised it a lot, but it's kind of regressing back to the mean. I mean, he's, he's no doubt he is improving, but he needs to stay one more year, I would say. Um, takeaway on the Notre Dame side, Notre Dame has been steadily improving. They're now, they've now won five of the last six, scored 40 plus and two straight. Now they are absolutely building momentum slowly, but surely getting into the rhythm here this season under the new coach, uh, already forgetting it. Marcus Freeman. Yep. Who could forget such a name like that? Such a, such a generic pull it out of the hat sort of name, but, um, Either way, I mean, it just goes to show you you don't you don't trust a new regime. Well, that's probably the worst possible. That's not even what I was trying to say. I'm not sure how that that just came out of my mouth, but you don't trust exactly what you see whenever a new regime takes over. It takes time to kind of mold into what the vision is for the program, at least in some instances. I know there was the, the Notre Dame's starting point wasn't the greatest because they lost a lot of talent last year from the team that they had, and they also lost their head coach. 
So they had to rebuild from basically from scratch at a place where the academic uh, requirements are ridiculous for the for for athletes or the, the, the highest level of athletes in, in the college game, in football, really any sport at this point. Uh, it's it's going to be hard to get into Notre Dame if you're one of those five-star recruits. That's just flat out how it is, unfortunately. And they're, they're going to make you do the schoolwork, too. That's kind of like Notre Dame's whole shtick. They're real student-athlete emphasis on the student part of it uh, sort of people. Uh, it's going to take time to build that thing up. And you're seeing it happen... More and more, they're just kind of rounding into shape as the season goes on. Obviously, they're not playing Ohio State anymore, so that that helps helps a little bit. But you see it happen. They're they're getting better and better. Just give them time. I'm I'm always about like give a coach three years, see what the program looks like in three years, and if you don't like the direction, then you make the decision. You cut the bait from there. Uh, I I think you give him time. I think he's showing now. He's he's showing you enough to kind of. Stay intrigued. See what this this program turns into in a couple years down the line there in Notre Dame. Let's keep it in the ACC for a true ACC matchup, shall we? We got number 10, Wake Forest traveling to Louisville to take on who else? Louisville. This one was a game of runs, to say the least. Louisville got out to a 13-0 lead initially. Wake Forest fought back, took the lead 14-13 at halftime. Uh, wheels fell off the vehicle, and that vehicle imploded in the third quarter, though, as everything that could go wrong did go wrong in that little 15-minute time frame. Sam Hartman started by throwing a pick six on the opening possession to cough up the lead. That was the first of five, count them, five straight possessions ending in a turnover for the Wake Forest offense. Meanwhile, Louisville scored three straight touchdowns to officially make it a blowout before capping Wake's full meltdown, more specifically Sam Hartman's full meltdown, with one more pick six as time expired in the third to make it 48-14. to That's pretty much all she wrote to keep with the, uh, the running phrase of the day. Wake Forest committed six turnovers. More accurately, Sam Hartman committed six turnovers in the third quarter alone after playing a clean first half overall. Louisville forced eight turnovers on the day, pretty much all of them coming in the second half as this one spiraled out of control to close the game out as a blowout down the stretch. Louisville wins 48-21. to Notable performers in this one start out with the winners because why not? Malik, Malik Cunningham uh, went 15 to 23, 65%, 164 yards, 7.1 yards per attempt, zero duddies, zero interceptions, and that's uh, that's, that's average, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, good thing he had legs, though. 38 yards on the ground, 4.2 yards per carry, and two touchdowns to make it so he had some sort of statistical impact uh, on the stat sheet there. Uh, running back Tyon, I I don't know if I miss, misspelled that name or if that's actually how it's spelled. But uh, here we are, I suppose. Tyon Evans, hope I got that right. Uh, 106 yards, 9.6 yards per carry. One touchdown on the day. Incredibly efficient. Wide receiver Tyler Hudson had six receptions, 77 yards. I mean, the air game was not what uh, kept the engine moving for Louisville in this one. That was absolutely clear. The defense was the, the game changer for this one. There was a lot of stars on that side for Louisville. Uh, first off, defensive back Keetrell Clark had six tackles, one sack from that defensive back position. Pretty impressive. Two tackles for loss, one interception. That interception went for a pick six. Also, 
fellow defensive back cornerback Quincy Riley had two interceptions, one of which went for a pick six as well. They Keytro Clark and Quincy Riley bookended the uh, third quarter, you may remember, with those uh, those key pick sixes that buried Wake Forest in the end. Uh, on Wake's side, Sam Hartman, 20 of 35, 57.1% completion, 271 yards, 7.7 yards per attempt, one touchdown, and here comes the pain, three interceptions, three lost fumbles on the day, just not happening for that Wake Forest offense, specifically Sam Hartman. Uh, and the rushing offense wasn't any better. They had 92 yards, but uh, that was gained through a whole lot of pain. Really similar to uh, what the Russian uh, offensive is doing. Uh, more specifically, Wagner Group is doing in Ukraine right now. Getting a whole 92 yards, 2.0 yards per carry, one touchdown on the day. They're getting gains. Just not getting them fast and not getting them efficiently. Uh, not really getting them in ways that are very impactful either. But that's enough of my my war uh, pontification. Uh, on the outside, wide receiver Donovan Green led the way. A.T. Perry kind of had a quiet day on the outside for Wake Forest. Uh, Donovan Green had three receptions, 25 yards. No, not 25 yards. 25 yards per catch. So, hey, another quick math problem there. Doot, 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 doot. 75 yards. Three receptions, 75 yards for a 25-yard per catch average. Did I, did I talk enough words to kind of make up for my mistake there? I don't know. No no uh, touchdowns, though. So, not again, big numbers, not the uh, not the not really impactful numbers at the end of the day. No real uh, takeaways from Louisville because I've not watched them all year. I'll be honest here, ladies and gentlemen. It's the ACC. Only a couple teams worth watching in the ACC. It, it just kind of it is what it is. I don't, I don't control my interests. I just kind of follow them accordingly. Follow your heart, they say, and you'll, you'll be wrong twice, twice a day. All right, all right. Key takeaway for uh, Wake Forest in this one, though. I'm not sure Sam Hartman has really improved uh, year to year from last season. At least not in areas that matter most. He's intrigued me in the past, but I, I think I'm firmly and thoroughly scared away from his pro prospects. I think. He's a talented guy. He's put up gaudy numbers in the past, but if he can't, if he can't get the efficiency and the de- decision making right um, in college, let alone at the next level, I just don't see how he can fit in in the next. I mean, I've seen it way too many times. He's a physically talented guy, uh, but he's not physically talented enough to make up for the downsides of his game right now. He's too aggressive. He makes bad decisions. He has bad ball security when being sacked in the pocket. You saw it with all those fumbles he had. They were all strip sacks, every single one of them. They weren't on run plays. It was just not protecting the ball in the pocket. Uh, someone swipes at the ball, and all, all of a sudden, the possession is gone. You got no no uh, no momentum whatsoever. And if there's anything we can, we can glean and learn from one Daniel Jones, it's that if you do that at the next level, they're going to look for ways to try and force you out. And let me let me make one thing crystal clear to where you could not mistake me at all with what I just said there. Sam Hartman is not even in the same stratosphere of athlete that Daniel Jones is. So he cannot lean on that at the next level. Um, again, another one of those where I don't know if he has another year of eligibility, but Sam Hartman probably should stay in college another year, see if you can get a little bit more development out of him. But he, if he goes to the NFL, I'm not even sure like it's a, it's a situational dependent thing. I think he's just too reckless right now with the ball. We're like, I don't think I, he just, if he comes out right now, he's got bust written all over him. I'll, I'll just put it that way. 
he needs to stay in school. He needs to continue to improve his game. That's just kind of the bottom line. It is what it is. And uh, hey, my lazy ass didn't write a goddamn thing for the quick hits down here. So we're just going to do a little bit of improvisation here, folks. Starting off on the Thursday night game. Uh, clicking through on ESPN.com. Don't mind me. Just conveniently put the mic directly next to my trigger finger here on the mouse. Uh, let me load this up. Number 14, Utah traveled to Washington State last Thursday night. Uh, well, hell, it's been a whole goddamn week at this point, so I'm a little bit late, but is what it is there. Now, I don't make the rules. I just follow them. I'm just recapping the week here. Um, pretty solid output from Washington State on the whole, but it was a pretty dominant performance from Utah, at least physically speaking. Let, let me explain Zero scoring in the first quarter, kind of a snooze fest there. Uh, Washington State jumped out to a quick lead 7-0, but from there, it was pretty much all Utah at the end of the second quarter. I mean, they went straight down the field, had Jaquindon Jackson running a, a, a touchdown in to tie it. Then you had Jalen Glover running in from one yard out uh, to take the lead going into the second half. Extended the lead even more on a, uh, a nice long drive there in the third quarter, make it 21-7. to But, uh, hey, that's that's where the scoring stopped for, for Utah. Washington State came back, made it interesting, ended up covering, I think, when it was all said and done. Just couldn't quite put them away when they were asked to. I mean, it is what it is. They put up a valiant effort. They did pretty much exactly what I thought they would do, but they came up just short. Utah escapes with the win in this one. Uh, player of the game probably should have looked at this a little bit more before I just started before I just started talking out of my ass there. I mean, hey, tight end Dalton Kincaid, seven receptions, 56 yards, one touchdown. That's pretty cool. Pretty pretty star-like performance there. They had two different guys with the sack and a half. I mean, Van Fillinger, that's a pretty cool name right there. I want to talk about a cool name. Talk about what do you know about Mohamed? Mohamed? I think I just did something culturally insensitive there. Uh, Mohamed Diabate, that's a name right there, baby. Uh, sack and a half, uh, two, two tackles for loss. They had a bajillion tackles for loss, looks like, over there. They had 10, uh, did Utah, in this game. Uh, either way, good performance from the offense, just survived. Or good performance from the defense, just survived in the offense. Uh, apparently, Cam Rising wasn't out there. News to me. So, hey. Survive not having Cam Rising in a road game. That's pretty impressive. More impressive than just about anything they've done this year, in my opinion. So, hey, let's uh, let's move on, shall we? Why why not? Number 15, Ole Miss. Uh, number, what, what was that? Unranked Texas A&M. I thought Texas A&M could have a possibility of uh, going in there and winning that, quite frankly. Uh, that's not quite what happened, though, is it? Uh, if I can ever pull up this game, I'm still kind of stretching stretching around looking for it. This is going about as chaotic as I could have hoped for. Uh, talk, about a, talk about a guy that I didn't expect to do well. Connor Wegman ended up having a good game. I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself, though. Uh, Texas A&M actually got out to a good lead in the first quarter, 14-7 initially. Took a 14-10 lead into halftime as well. But coming out of halftime in that third quarter, uh, Lane Kiffin's boys got it going. I'll tell you what, went 94 yards all the way down the field on their first possession of the second half to score a touchdown uh, on a one-yard 
one-yard run, easy for me to say, had a bit of a brain aneurysm there, uh, by Chase, Case Kelly, rather, to make it 17-14, take the lead there. Also got a uh, two-yard pass from Jonathan Mingo to Jackson Dart, old Philly special there, uh, to cap off an 85-yard drive with a touchdown, make it a two-score game, 24-14. to uh, But Texas A&M, to their credit, battled back, did their thing where they could. Uh, Noah Thomas capped off a 62-yard drive. Connor Wegman throwing the pass there. He had a hell of a game. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, they brought that to a three-point game, 24-21. to But Quinshawn Judkins did everyone a favor on the Ole Miss sideline anyways by making it a two-score game once again midway through the fourth uh, with a touchdown run. That is that made it thirty-one to twenty-one. Uh, Devon A. Chain added a touchdown late from a, uh, another pass from Connor Wegman uh, to make it a three-point game, but just a little too little, too late there. Couldn't get the onside kick, and that was all she wrote there. Final score: Ole Miss wins thirty-one to twenty-eight. And performer of the game in this one, I mean. A little, little shout-out, little nod to uh, Connor Wegman going 28-44, 338 yards, 7.7 yards per attempt. Four touchdowns, and let me check, yup, zero, count them, zero turnovers. I need to stop saying that fucking phrase right now. I'm annoying myself with that right there. Also, Devon A-Chain, what, what else is new? He's a monster. He had a monster game, and he'll just keep having monster games until t- someone takes him in the draft, and then he's going to have a monster game uh, after monster game at the next level, but I'm I'm spinning out of control at this point. The Ole Miss just ran it straight down Texas A&M's throat. Quinshawn Judkins led the way with 205 yards. Uh, another guy, true freshman, by the way, I'm pretty sure. This guy's a fucking freak in there. I shudder to think what he's going to be in a couple years. Uh, maybe putting a, a lot of miles as a, uh, as a freshman there, but, I mean, at this point, who cares? He had six yards per carry uh, on those 34 carries. Uh, one touchdown on the day on the ground. I can't imagine, I can't tell... He did not even catch a, a a ball through the air, so no no uh, question in that one. But hey, as a team, though, Ole Miss rushed for 390 yards, 6.2 yards per carry, and a touchdown. Only one come from Quinshawn Judkins, so hey, pretty pretty good performance on the whole from, from everyone involved there. They absolutely destroyed Texas A&M's run defense on the day. Uh, but with that said, uh, not really a whole lot else doing there. I mean... Ole Miss did what they had to do. I think they just barely covered against uh, Texas A&M. So brutal, brutal performance there, or guess not so brutal. Or maybe Texas A&M covered. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Texas A&M lost. Ole Miss ended up taking the win when it was all said and done. Uh, Missouri versus South Carolina. Don't remember precisely what happened here outside of South Carolina losing. But uh, guess I just gave away the the ending there. If you if you didn't know what happened, sorry. Should have put a spoiler alert there. I don't know. I, I can't find this game. Just know that October ended in a pretty sad fashion, and I'm just not just not very much a fan of. Oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, ended up being Missouri got out to a pretty good lead, 17 nothing, and it just yeah. We all we all know South Carolina can't overcome that that and they just they simply didn't. Twenty three to ten was the final score. And in October on a sour, sour note, you hate to see it, but that just kinda it is what it is, I suppose. The number one player in this game, I would say pretty easily Dominic Lovett, ten receptions, 148 yards, no touchdowns, but he absolutely moved the ball in the passing game. 
excuse me for that Missouri offense there. That was certainly a sentence that got put together. I don't know from there. What what more is there left you want to hear about? Uh, we have got number 20, Cincinnati versus UCF. That was a pretty good game. I had some money on that one. If you rode with me on that one, I wholeheartedly endorsed that bet, and we hit. Congratulations to all of you that rode with me. Uh, nanner, nanner, boo-boo, rub it in your face to all the people that did not run with me. Uh, also, by the way, first off, Gus Malzahn at UCF now. So... Maybe some previous regime influence, but uh, mostly Malzahn in that right now in, in the American Conference with that offense that he runs, which maybe not the greatest in the SEC, but phantasmal in uh, in, in the lower levels of college. Lower levels. <laughs> I, that, that's disrespecting the American Conference, but not in the Power 5 Conference. I'll just put it that way. Uh, this one came right down to the end, though. It was back and forth the entire time. UCF took the lead initially, uh, going up 10 nothing. Uh, Cincinnati cut it down to 10-6 at halftime. Then slowly but surely, they claw back in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, seven seconds remaining in the third quarter. They get a touchdown to go ahead 13-12. UCF got a safety in there somewhere, so that kind of, it, it is what it is there. Uh, bring that into the fourth quarter. UCF takes the lead again, 18-13. to uh, with 4:36 remaining, and I mean that's that's when that's when shit started popping off right there, man. Ryan Montgomery had a 39-yard touchdown run uh, from a Ben Bryant pass to Tyler Scott for a two-point conversion. I don't know. You might be able to tell at this point. I'm just reading off the ESPN page to give you a little bit of a synopsis of what went down here. But R.J. Harvey. Uh, had the game winner at the end with a 17-yard run to cap things off and take the win home in the end. There are only 48 seconds left, but I was like, what, three straight possessions to end the game that touchdowns were scored on. What a finish there from UCF and Cincinnati. Everything we could have hoped for. UCF ended up with over 500 yards of offense. They absolutely killed on the stat sheet, just didn't quite kill on the final stat line when it was all set, final score line rather. The only stat that matters, as some would say. Um, that being said, big notable performers in this one. I'm just going to give the flowers to the entire UCF running game because they went 258 yards, five yards per carry, three touchdowns. Those, they just, I mean, Gus Malzahn offense, so they just jet sweep the, the, the Bearcats to death in this one. And uh, when you're recruiting in Florida, and you have all the fast people known to man in that area, uh, you can do that. You can do that to a, a great extent of, of success there. So, I mean, good good for them. Shout out, as they say. Uh, Georgia, Florida kept it close for a little bit. They had a very good uh, third quarter. Anthony Richardson kind of had one of those explosive quarters that you would, uh, you would expect from Anthony Richardson every once in a while. But Georgia just kind of took over. Down the stretch, ended up not being too close. I believe the final score was uh, forty-two to twenty. Let me let me verify that real quick if I can ever ever find the game on the uh, the dock here. Yep, forty-two to twenty final score there with Georgia. Guess probably go in there and see who the uh, the performer of the game was. Best performance. Uh, really, the the backfield was impressive. Two hundred thirty-nine total yards for that rushing game. Six yards per carry. Four touchdowns, all impressive across the board there. Uh, Dejan Edwards, Dejan, Dejan, I don't know how, I probably butchered that name. He had 106 yards for two touchdowns. Also, Kenny McIntosh, the incumbent that's been there for a little bit, uh, had 90 yards 
5.6 yards per carry, two touchdowns as well. So really just utter dominance in that running game down the stretch. Also, by the way, Brock Bowers doing Brock Bowers things. He had 30 yards per catch, five receptions, 154 yards. If he is not, if he's not a top 10 pick, I don't, I don't understand. He needs to, he is a legit like playmaking threat every time he touches the ball, which is not something you can say about all tight ends that come out nowadays. He is, he's a special type of athlete right now at that tight end position. Uh, Michigan State, Michigan, uh, well, Michigan kicked the shit out of him. Not really a whole lot of, to go into there. Uh, assault in the tunnel afterwards, though. Um, one tunnel design, once again, comes back to uh, comes back to bite a college football team. That'll happen every, every now and again. Uh, certainly a problem in the big house at this point with, uh, I mean, had a Michigan player. Don't know exactly who it was, but he was coming in the tunnel with a a preponderance, a gaggle of about 10 Michigan State players. And, uh, well, after getting the shit kicked out of him by Michigan, Michigan State decided to enact a little bit of revenge in the tunnel uh, by committing assault. Uh, not awesome. Not, not awesome when it was all said and done. Uh, not much else to say about that, though. It was just some drama. Feels like, again, I'm, I'm maybe not again, but I'm just going to posit this and you can you can do with it what you will, the fish rots from the head, and I don't know, man. Mel Tucker did a great job last year bringing in Kenneth Walker, but feels like a marked degradation of the program around him after getting his bag. That's I'm not making any accusations or allegations, but it's feels feels like there's some fishy smelling shit happening in uh East Lansing. I, I think that's where Michigan State is. Uh either way, performer of the game in this one, who else would it be for Michigan? It's Blake Corum. Uh, I guess it might be Donovan Edwards, but but either way, Blake Corum back to his usual bell cow self here. 33 carries, 177 yards, 5.4 yards per carry and a touchdown. Michigan had 276 total rushing yards, 5.3 yards per carry, and a touchdown on the day. So, I mean, Michigan just taking care of business. Uh, I think Clemson was ranked ahead of them in the initial playoff rankings. Hey, we'll get to that in in just a second. But uh, yeah, they're still in my mind. I would put them in the playoffs right now. I don't know what the I don't know what the committee's thinking other than wow, that orange for Clemson that would probably look great in juxtaposition with the orange from Tennessee in the playoff. That's only thing I can think of. But again, put a pin in that. We'll talk about that in uh, in just a second here. Uh, number eight, Oregon traveling to Cal. This was this was one that could have been a trap game. Uh, one of those where you just kind of get through, and if you win, you, you consider that a, a good performance. Uh, that's pretty much what we got here. I think Cal kind of kept it close for for a while. Um, in the first half, it was 14-10 at one point. Hell, Cal led for a, for a good portion. It was kind of back and forth to start, but you get a touchdown from Bo Nix and then a touchdown from Bo Nix again just through the passing game that time to end the half on two straight possessions there. All of a sudden, you're up 21-10 going into halftime. Then the floodgates start opening. I mean, you get a uh, another touchdown pass in the third quarter, make it 28-10. Then in the fourth quarter, you basically just keep it even from there. And it was it was a comfortable win for Oregon in the end there. 
Um, notable performer, best performer in this one. Oh, also, by the way, final score 42-24. Oregon ended up uh, getting this this win fairly comfortably. Uh, best performer, who else would it be? It's Bo Nix. Uh, 27 of 37, 412 yards this time, 11.8 yards per attempt. Three touchdowns, did have two interceptions, so that's probably not going to cut it. But didn't didn't turn the ball over uh, on the on the ground though. Didn't didn't drop the ball. Also on the ground, rushed for 59 yards, 4.9 yards per carry. That's not the impressive part though. The impressive part is he rushed for three. Count them: one, two, three, three touchdowns uh, for a total point production of six touchdowns on the day for Bo Nix. Should we be talking more about him as a Heisman contender? That kind of just popped into my brain there. We're talking about Hendon Hooker a lot, but, but I mean, Bo Nix has been lights out the entire year with the exception of that Georgia game. I think if Hendon Hooker plays lights out in this Georgia game, he probably still ends up winning that Heisman, but Bo Nix should be a finalist there when it's all said and done. I'll just, I'll just say that much. And uh, final game to round out this slate uh, of... Last week's college football games, we have got number 10 USC traveling to Arizona to take on the Wildcats, I think Arizona is. Yep, got that guess completely right. A um, little bit of an uncharacteristically high-scoring performance from that USC defense. Maybe maybe that early success was just kind of that, uh, that competition they were going against because they gave up. 540 yards against Arizona in this one. I mean, it was a it was a track meet from start to finish. Uh, this is just like end of end of quarter scores. End of the first, it was 10-10. End of the first half, it was 17-13 USC ahead. Uh, third quarter, just offensive explosion. Went two touchdowns for SC, two touchdowns for uh, Arizona. The difference was a field goal for Arizona to make it a two-point game going into the fourth quarter. That was 31-29. Then in the fourth. Uh, USC just kind of did their thing. I mean, Caleb Caleb Williams went on and did me proud as a fellow Caleb, scoring two straight touchdowns, uh, capping two straight drives that way. Travis Dye did cap one of those those drives to kind of make it a two-score game. And then they just kind of did just enough on the defense to keep Arizona from, from uh, getting, getting in the end zone quickly is the best way to put it, I think. Uh, Arizona scored a touchdown late to make it a one touchdown game, but a uh, little too little, too late when it was all said and done. Trojans end up winning 45 to 37 as the condom didn't break this time. Uh, anyways, notable performance in this one performance of the game. It was Caleb Williams, my fellow Caleb. And I'm not just saying that because he is a fellow Caleb. That is a fact. Uh, but he had 31 of 45 411 yards, 9.1 yards per attempt, five, count them, five touchdowns uh, to the tune of zero turnovers on the day. He is, you want to talk about a pro prospect, he's not even draft eligible yet. He was a true freshman last year. He's only going to be draft eligible next year. Boy, is he going to be a a high pick in the draft whenever he comes out. Uh, That being said, that is all I had for last week's game. What a, what a slate, man! What what a slate! We had a good time, didn't we? We all we all had fun, didn't we? Uh, now let's let's get into the the playoff ranking, shall we? We are throwing the AP aside, taking a piss on its grave, and lighting it on fire because we are done with that bullshit. We are the only rankings that matter. The playoff committee rankings, the the playoff committee that chooses the playoff in the end. We are live with those. The first of the rankings, first week of November. 
It's real football season, baby. We have got the first rankings that actually matter, and we are coming from 25 and going up. Starting at 25 after coming off that win versus Cincinnati that we talked about. Impressive. Won me some money. I hope won a few of you some money out there as well. Uh, They're coming in at 25, UCF. Uh, 24, Texas coming in there. I'm not sure if they had a bye last week or if they won, but committee seems to think well of them. Got them at 24. 23, they got uh, Oregon State. Don't hate that. They've played well this year. I think they're sneakily better than a lot of people think they are. Uh, NC State at 22. I guess their defense is still all right. I mean, their offense is just putrid, disgusting, awful. I hate to see it. Uh, But still, uh, got some juice on the defensive side, so credit where it's due. Uh, Wake Forest dropped all the way to 21, so that's that seems warranted. They were 10 in last week's AP poll, and they just got absolutely shithoused. So uh, a lot of questions there. You don't drop them all the way out of the rankings after that performance, but you gotta have uh you gotta have them right there on the cusp. I would say if they do that again this week, not gonna be awesome. Not gonna be awesome. Uh, number 20, we got Syracuse after their uh, their loss to Notre Dame. Uh, they didn't get quite so much embarrassed as Wake Forest did because they lost to a better team, but still. Uh, not a good loss this past week, so they dropped a pretty good bit there. Uh, Tulane at number 19, a little bit of respect to the group of five there. Shout out, shout out. Uh, they're the best team in the Sun Belt right now, I think it is. Um, either way, is it Sun Belt, Mac? I don't, I don't, fuck, I don't remember. Uh, either way, at number 18, Oklahoma State clocks in. Uh, they were... I don't remember what they were last week. They were number nine, I think it was, and they dropped the whole nine slots. Uh, you lose by 48 to uh, inter-conference inter- foe. That, that generally tends to happen, so okay with that. Uh, number 17, got North Carolina. All right, all right. Not not so much defense to speak of, but after that, uh, that one loss, that crazy loss they had to App State, I mean, hell, if they hadn't lost that one to App State, they might be a top 10 sort of team right now, kind of challenging, uh, challenging Clemson when it's all said. I think they do still have... They do still have Clemson on the schedule. Well, do they beat App State? Do they already lose to Clemson? Uh, who was I? You were you me? I don't I don't know what the hell's going on right now. But hey, Clemson, not Clemson. North Carolina's at number seventeen. Clemson's much higher. We'll get to them in just a second. Uh, number sixteen, we got Illinois. I think that was roughly where they were in in, in last week's rankings. I'm not really too uh, too well versed on that. I mean, just in one ear out the other when it's all said and done. Uh, Penn State. Down to number 15, I think that kind of speaks to what level that the committee sees Ohio State at, because they were at 13 last week, and they, you know, they put up a good fight, they covered, I suppose, but they were, they were handled by Ohio State, so that kind of, that, again, speaks to what the committee thinks of what Ohio State is right now. Utah clocking in at 14, I believe, zero change from last week after they uh, struggled on the road against uh, Washington State. K-State all the way up to 13 from 22 last week. Love that, love that. Hope to keep seeing them get higher and higher as that collision course continues to, or they continue to barrel towards each other. I think that's kind of the dumbest way I could have possibly put that. Uh, Between K-State and TCU, that is, I'm talking about. At 12, though, UCLA, again, don't think that was a change at all from last week. Uh, after they beat uh, whoever whoever it was they played. They, they beat them pretty handily. It was like 38-10, to 10, and it was an interconference foe. So, hey, good for them, I suppose. I think it might have been Arizona State or someone like that. Uh, I digress. Ole Miss down at 11. I think that is up from where they were last week. I think they were 15 whenever they traveled to Texas A&M, you know, and they end up going in there taking care of business. Wasn't pretty, but a win is a win is a win, and they got 
just short of 400 rushing yards. So fairly impressive. You're going to move up the uh, the rankings when you do that. LSU at 10, man. The committee loves them. And I mean, I, I mean, I tend to agree to a certain extent. They have been absolutely on fire since that initial stretch where uh, they lost to Notre Dame, uh, lost to some other team that's escaping my mind right now. Certainly didn't lose to Mississippi State. Remember that one? That one's fresh in the mind. That's kind of where the uh, the good feeling started to happen for LSU, it seemed like. But uh, hey, that sets up a big-time top 10 matchup between Alabama this week. We'll talk about that in just a second. But LSU, they are ascending. It's just the first year with Brian Kelly. Next season, got another year of Jaden Daniels, another year of recruiting, uh, getting more players that fit into that scheme for Brian Kelly. Boy, it's about to be a juggernaut down there in Baton Rouge. Watch out. Uh, number nine, USC moves up one spot with the loss of Oklahoma State. Uh, not really much to say there. They just barely survived against Arizona. They just kind of won the war of attrition. Uh, Oregon still at number eight, same as last week. No change there. Um, kind of warranted, I would say. They 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 made it past Cal. Didn't do it in the most convincing fashion possible, I suppose. They did it comfortably. They just didn't win by 40, and I guess style points matter. Whatever. College rankings are dumb. Uh, number seven, we got TCU. No change from last week, so not really a whole lot to discuss there. Um, number six, we got Alabama. I think that's probably a fair ranking to put them ahead of TCU. I mean, I'll you know go out on a limb and say that. Uh, then you got Michigan at five. Uh, just on the outside, the Bama and Michigan. Bama's still got a path to get in if they can win the rest of their regular season games, then go in and win the SEC title game. Uh, but that being said, got to get through a gauntlet to get through that point. So we are we are far away from that, to say the least. Uh, Michigan at five, would have loved to see them in the playoff picture because I think they are legitimately better than what Clemson is putting out there. I've, I've already spoken my piece on that one last week, though. Um, at four, we have got aforementioned Clemson. That is the debate to have between four and five, I think, right now. Uh, number three, all the way down at number three, we've got Georgia, which I think I actually tend to agree with. Uh, number two, we got Ohio State. And then number one, we have got the Tennessee Volunteers. And that is that is it right there, ladies and gentlemen. That is your top four. That is the playoff picture right now. I think it is, it is worthy to note that this initial playoff picture to start has never, ever been right. I mean, it has never, ever held true until the very last ranking. And I would expect that trend to hold in this one. I would expect one, if not more, of these teams to drop out and be replaced by other candidates when it's all said and done. But that is your top four right now, folks. Tennessee at one, Ohio State at two, Georgia at three, and Clemson at four. And quite frankly, don't agree with Clemson at four. We've been over that, but... Top three, don't hate it. In fact, I actually really like it. I think it's kind of a dealer's choice as to who you take at number one, whether it's Tennessee or Ohio State. I kind of think it just matters. I think it just depends at this point uh, whether you are based in the South or whether you're based in the Midwest. If you're like, I think if you are above like the midpoint in Virginia, like there's, if you get into Northern Virginia, I think you're in Ohio state country where they're saying, okay, I think Ohio state, hell actually Tennessee is close enough to Virginia to where maybe they are tainted, but you get into Maryland certainly. And it's like, okay, Ohio state's probably the number one team. You get below Maryland and it's okay. Tennessee is the number one team. I think the committee put Tennessee at number one, just based on like strength of schedule and the fact that 
like it or not, SEC bias, all all that stuff, um, it plays a factor in that. They have uh, they've they've proven it against big time competition over and over again. They're going to get an opportunity to do it once again this week in uh, in Athens. That's going to be an absolute treat. But I actually I really like the top three the way they did it in this one, and I. I not really a whole lot of nits to pick here. I think you could have probably ranked Alabama higher, but I think Michigan is a better football team than them right now. They got certainly got a better record. Um, putting Alabama ahead of them probably would have been a, wouldn't have been a good move. Um, so you can quibble about four and five. I think that's the only area you can really because it's the only area that certainly matters in these rankings right now is that four or five slot. I don't think I, I think JJ McCarthy is either equal or better to what DJ Uyunglele brings to the table. And I think Michigan's defense is equal or better to what Clemson puts out there. And I think Michigan's running game is better than what Clemson puts out there. I just feel like Michigan is a better football team top to bottom. It, it is what it is. That's my view. Obviously, the committee viewed it differently. I think there was probably some, uh, some spirited debate about that four or five uh, flipping that between those two. But that's that. That is what it is. That's where that's where we're at right now. We'll have to reevaluate in a week. But right now it is Tennessee one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, and Clemson four. That is the way the committee sees it right now. If the playoffs were to start today, so with that in mind, let us look forward, look ahead at the notable Week Ten matchups. First off, let me take a sip of my coffee because my teeth are starting to hurt from talking so much and not drinking. Also, before we get into the notable matchups, this is kind of a, a hard cutaway from the uh, from the uh, from the college football here, but this is pretty ma- pretty major news. Uh, federal prosecutors open criminal investigation into allegations commanders engaged in financial improprieties. Um, that's a bombshell. That that would be a reason to sell your team, and that might also be the uh, that might be the legal battle they're trying to save up for. Man, that is. Uh, that's a bombshell right there. That's wild. That is, that is a reason to sell your team right there. That is, wow. Wow. I am absolutely speechless at that. This might be, I mean, it's looking more and more like we're in fire Dan Snyder territory, right? Like we're getting to that point where Dan Snyder is on the verge of being fired in a way. So like, I mean, rejoice, Washington commie fans. The Red Menace is getting stronger and stronger once again. I mean, you can feel the spread of communism coming on right now as we speak. I mean, good for you guys. Uh, Not so great for Dan Snyder. Like I said before, though, when talking about him uh, announcing possible sale of the team, exploring a possible sale of the team with Bank of America, um, ain't nobody going to fight like Dan Snyder is going to fight. So keep that in mind with this all said and done. He is not going to go down without swinging really, really hard. So this is going to be interesting going forward here. Federal charges for Dan Snyder, though. Wow. Bombshell. Uh, Moving on to the notable Week 10 matchups, though, for college football. Staying away from the NFL for now. Once again, where else will we start? Number one, Tennessee is traveling to Athens, Georgia for a monumental seismic. I mean, earth-shattering, earth-moving I mean, tectonic plate shifting matchup in college football with UGA. And boy, I am so excited. I mean, if for no other reason, then I got a better really liking this one. 
had to clear the had to clear the nostrils there. I think I got a deviated septum or something, but I mean, man, I my my nose is a problem. Either way, I digress. No one wants to know about that bullshit. This is a red alert. This is not a drill, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, th- cue the alarm. Cue the alarm. Wee woo wee woo. Tennessee is currently an eight and a half underdog right now, plus eight and a half. Unless things have changed in the past twenty four hours since I wrote that down, they were a plus eight and a half underdog at the time of writing this, at the very least. Pulling back the curtain there, right? Uh, I locked that one in personally on Monday night after the NFL game. I was laying in bed, scrolling through the uh, the early, getting an early look at the uh, the bets for next week, as far as the college game was concerned. Scrolling through, looking through, perusing, if you will. I saw Tennessee at plus eight and a half, and my heart skipped a beat, man. I'm not even gonna lie, like eight and a half. Like you don't think, you don't think they're gonna keep it within a touchdown, like a, a, a touchdown. This is the number one team in the country. This is the best offense in the entire country. I mean, more weapons. I mean, outside of Ohio State, second best offense in the entire country as far as weapons are concerned. And you think, you think they're they're not even gonna make it eight and a half? I mean. I understand the respect for Georgia's talent, but Hendon Hooker and that UT offense are just on another level, and I don't think that vaunted Georgia defense is going to stop them. I don't think they can stop them, quite frankly. This is by far my favorite bet on, on college football uh, on the slate this weekend. Go go get it while you can, man. I don't know if it's going to stay up plus 8.5. It seems to be holding strong there, shockingly enough, which makes me worried, but I am smart people are on my side that I trust when it comes to this betting stuff on this one, so... Ride with me, ladies and gentlemen. Plus eight and a half for Tennessee. Lock it in while you can. Uh, just remember to put the beer money on them, not the rent money. Just a little reminder there. I know it's the first week of the month, but let's not get too risky here. I know the bills are all paid, but let's 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 keep it chill. Keep it chill, shall we? Uh, me me talking about keeping it chill on spending. Whew, talk about hypocritical there. Uh, more on the actual nitty gritty of the game, though. This game is going to be a absolute. Treat maybe not on that that Bama level, but we are going to get a good one here, folks. I mean, it is going to be a good good time. I think Tennessee is going to get their points. Quite frankly, uh, Hendon Hooker is just on another planet with how he's playing uh, and with the weapons at his disposal to work with. Nah, not no college defense is going to be able to stop this group at all this season. I don't think. I think they're going to run through all the competition. Probably score thirty or forty plus. When it's all said and done, to me it comes down to how well Stetson Bennett and the Georgia offense with those big athletic freaks at tight end between Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. Also, Kenny McIntosh and uh, whew, old Dajan. Dajan Robinson? Dajan Jackson? I don't remember the guy's last name. Guy who rushed for 100 yards in that game who I already forgot his name. Sorry, Dajan. Forgot your last name, but you got a unique first name, so it works, I suppose. Um, I feel like... They're going to have to move the ball and score on this Tennessee defense that seems to be improving each week, which I feel like they're going to have a tough time doing. I don't know if Tennessee should be favored in this one. I really think this one should basically be a pick I do think UGA might slow down Tennessee's offense, but Tennessee will not lose by more than a score in this one, and I'm certainly putting a few shekels on that assumption for damn sure. Uh, moving on, Texas Tech. Traveling to TCU, not quite so much an upset alert on this one, but the line is like plus 10 for Texas Tech. I'm not betting on that one, but I know some smart people that are putting money on that one for Texas Tech. I think this is going to be a close one. I Again, I don't feel strongly either way, so not, not putting my money 
either way on this one, but I do think this is going to end up being a close game. TCU has a tendency to let teams hang around before just beating the piss out of them late. This might be that, or it might just be close till the very end. I think it could be a, a classic Big 12 showdown, though. So, hey, maybe if you're looking for a, a fun Saturday night bet, throw throw a few on the uh, the over there. I mean, not, n- never really hurts, does it? Uh, except for when you lose the money, right? I guess so. Either way, uh, moving to, I guess it's the SEC. Uh, Liberty is traveling to Arkansas to take on, well, who else would they take on? It's Arkansas. Uh, not quite the uh, tune-up game that Arkansas probably thought it would be when they scheduled this way back probably a decade, whatever they made this matchup. Uh, the over-under is set at 63.5, and, and I am, uh, I'm inclined to take the over on that one. Uh, Arkansas's defense is not good, and so long as K.J. Jefferson is playing, Liberty doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of stopping, stopping Arkansas's offense. 63.5 seems low. I love, love, love the over in this game, if nothing else. Um, moving on to the next one, big time matchup in the SEC. Can't believe I put Liberty versus Arkansas before this one, but we got Bama traveling down to Baton Rouge to take on number 10 LSU 610 matchup there. And I'm not talking about height. I'm talking about rankings, baby. Uh, this is another perplexingly large lineup in a big time SEC game. The smart people are against me on this one, but LSU was a 13 point underdog at home against an Alabama team with players who outright admitted to being flustered by the atmosphere in Neyland Stadium a few short weeks ago. And let me tell you, they were flustered by Knoxville. Boy, are they about to be worried when they walk out in front of 100,000 plastered, drunk, lovable DJs down there in Baton Rouge, man. I don't know if the line makers are just thinking about that Tennessee game and hedging accordingly or what, or if they're just thinking about the history of this matchup in Baton Rouge, it's kind of, they call it Brian Denny in, in Baton Rouge, Brian Denny South, butchered that one, I'm sure, uh, but I'm not sure what they're they're looking at here, but I, I'm, I'm betting on the 13-point underdog here, that's for sure. I don't know if LSU is going to win, that's going to be a tall order, but I think they keep it closer than 13, if nothing else. Another one I've already locked in and placed a wager on, I, I'm riding on that one. I put my money where my mouth is. I usually don't with a lot of these college football bets, but I will tell you when I am riding with them right away. And those two, LSU and Tennessee in their respective games, I am riding with those, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Back to the Big 12, shall we? Number 24, Texas taking on number 13, K-State. This is big time. Careful, careful, K-State. I mean, Texas, they are reeling sometimes. I mean, they have... They, they don't seem to ever have a defense. They always seem to lose games in perplexingly, uh, hilariously Texas-esque fashion. But uh, boy, don't, don't, don't take them lightly. This could be a classic Big 12 shootout. I think it's going to have to be if Texas wants to come out here and get the upset. But we'll have to see who they got at quarterback for K-State, whether it's Will Howard or Adrian Martinez. It hasn't seemed to matter over the past couple of weeks. But if Adrian Martinez is out there, it's going to be tough for Texas to come out there and win. Still, with Quinn Ewers, Bijan Robinson, Xavier Worthy, all the weapons on that offensive side of the ball, Texas has always got a puncher's chance in all of these. Uh, and it's the Big 12. There's not a gimme in any of these games. Uh, moving on to the Big 12, number 21, Wake Forest, taking on number 22, NC State. Uh, Wake Forest hadn't absolutely taken a shit in the bed and smeared it all over the sheets with their hands last week. Uh, and didn't wash them either. Just let it dry up there for an hour or so. Um, 
I probably would be inclined to, to hammer Wake Forest in this one, given the just the dearth of talent for NC State's offense right now. But after watching what I watched last week, I am I'm scared. I'm not not betting on this one. I'm staying the hell away from it. Uh, could be a low scoring game. Could be well if it's a high scoring game, it means Wake Forest is blowing out NC State because I know NC State ain't put up a whole lot of points in this one. That's for damn sure in my mind. Uh, but that being said. I think this will probably end up being a close game when it's all said and done. It's an interconference game. I, I don't know if NC State and Wake Forest are, are rivals. I think they're both in North Carolina. So, I mean, you got some bitter in-state, whatever the hell, ACC bullshit that is. So, you know, could be cool. Could be cool. Uh, that's my uh, that's that's my preview, though. Could be cool. Could be cool. That's ACC's not quite what it was in 2021. I'll just put it that way. Uh, and rounding this out, I think this is probably the last matchup because it's the only one that's not ranked in this. Uh, Auburn versus Mississippi State. I saved my homerism for, I don't know, how, how much time are we into the podcast? Only about all hour 28 minutes or so into the podcast. Uh, Auburn versus Mississippi State. Those sons of bitches at Auburn took our AD last week, so we got to go out and take their soul on the football field. Also, the, uh, the ink hadn't even dried on Cohen's contract before uh, the administration told him, all right. Why don't you go out and uh, fire Brian Harson? Get him the fuck out of town, okay? All right, get him out of here. Uh, so it's been a dramatic weekend for, uh, or week rather, between Auburn and Mississippi State, to say the least. If nothing else this season, though, little I'm, I'm not betting on Mississippi State because I've been burned in the past. I'll be burned again if I do it, so I'm just going to lay off, um, especially with how big the line is. We'll get to that in just a second. But Mississippi State's been a fantastic home team all year. Uh so either the interim head coach bump will help Auburn keep it close-ish, or, 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 like a seal, uh, State is about to win by 30 here. I don't know which it is, but I'm not placing money on a on a, on a prayer, so to speak. Uh, ESPN has got Mississippi State at minus 13, so Vegas obviously expects a dominant win. I don't know. I've, I've been disappointed in the past and been disappointed, oh, as soon as, I don't know, this year. So I, I don't know. Gonna, gonna stay away from that one. Either way, no strong lean. Uh, so like I said, staying away from that one, bet at your own peril. Uh, if you like Mississippi state, go for it. If not join the, join the club. It's been a, been a rough week. Uh, either way, that'll do it for the college football stuff. So let's, uh, let's get some picks and get on out of here. It's the pick pentathlon first and foremost. This is the Pick Pentathlon. Alrighty, let's look at what we did last week, alright? Four and one, I repeat, four and one. This is not a drill. We are 14 and 16 overall. We might be just this week away. I mean, if I go if we go four and one this week, I'm fairly certain. Do, do the math, carry the one. Uh, or hell, if I go three and two, I go 17, be 17 and 18. So yeah, I got to go four and one, but I could conceivably get over 500 this week. It is so tantalizingly close, ladies and gentlemen. Your boy, your boy right now is hot, 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 hot boy right now. 10 and five over the last three weeks. I mean, this could finally be the, the week that we get over 500. So boys and girls, let's ride. As, as my, as my friend as my friend Russell Wilson once said, let's stay hot. I don't think he said that, but uh, he did say, it's spicy. 
winning bets, not not the Danger Witch. I'm talking about these bets this time. Uh, also, Danger Witch, not spicy. The only thing spicy on that whole goddamn thing is uh, banana peppers. And it's own banana peppers are only spicy if you got a white boy palate. And that's that's all I'm gonna say on that. Uh, this week in the pick pentathlon for my favorite, I am taking the Bengals minus seven versus the Panthers. Uh, Bengals just got embarrassed on a national stage, and now they face. Uh, a terrible Panthers team that is just probably coming on the uh, the back end of that interim head coach bump that they just got. So this seems like Bengals coming off of a beat them down game uh, for the Stripey boys last week. I think they're going to pay it forward against the Panthers in this one. I got I love the Bengals minus seven. Uh, don't know if they're on the road or at home. Probably should have put that here, but either way, who knows? Uh, underdog, I got the Bears plus five versus the Dolphins. I think that's still plus five. I've got to give me just a second to, to bring it on back to the the scoreboard here for the NFL. Gonna doop 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 my way over back to the the lines here and scroll down and look at the yep. Dolphins are still minus five. So yep, I am taking the Bears. They're at home. They're at Soldier Field. Um, Dolphins did just bring in a big time pass rusher that's bound to bound to work some wonders there, but the Bears have been absolutely spicy of late. I don't know if they're going to win it, but at home with the way they've been playing recently, with the addition they just made on the other side, I mean that that could be cool. Uh, I feel like the Bears end up covering this one. I, that could that could come back to shoot me straight in the kneecap. I could be I could be limping for the rest of my life. I'll be damned. If those stupid bears aren't improving before my very eyes, though. So I'm, I'm betting on them plus five and a half versus the Dolphins. Uh, the over, Lord help me, I'm betting on the Vikings. Vikings versus Commies. The line is just 43 and a half. Just need 43 and a half points. That is incredibly low for a solid Vikings offense. They haven't been great at times, but adding TJ Hawkinson in, I don't know how involved he's going to be, but we got him early in the week. So should be able to kind of meld him into the game plan, get him get him going early there. I really like the over here at 43 and a half for the uh for the Vikings versus Commies. It's an absurdly low number. I think the Vikings are going to move the ball on the Commie defense and I think Heineke is feisty enough to put up a couple touchdowns on the Vikings defense and I think a couple touchdowns is all we're going to need when it's when it's all said and done here. I like the like the Vikings to kind of Come out here and show them how it's done. I don't think it's going to be an offensive clinic, but I think the over hits, if only by a little bit. Uh, under, I am taking under for under 48 for the Raiders versus Jaguars. Raiders couldn't even move the ball on the Saints, and Trevor Lawrence is addicted to throwing fucking balls into coverage, so I feel good about taking the under 48 on this one. Uh, not to mention that both teams have above-average run defenses which, by the way, the strength of both of these teams is the running game on offense. So you're running your strength into the strength of the defense, and you got no nothing to take advantage of the, the the weaknesses of the opposing defenses. 48 is a whole lot of points, so I am taking the under on that one, and I am going to sleep like a goddamn baby at night. This is one that did change. Also got to make sure that the, uh, uh, what's it called? Raiders Jags over under hasn't changed. I think that was still at 48, but doesn't hurt to check. Yep, still at 48. So 
locking that one in right this second. And for Thursday night, this is one that did move. It was Eagles minus 13 whenever I uh, initially wrote it down. Eagles are now minus 14. And um, you know what? I still like it. The the, the Eagles are just going to beat the piss out of the the Texans on Thursday night. There's no, no two ways about it. The Eagles have done basically the same thing in every single game where they play a bad team like the Texans. They'll get out to like a 30 to nothing lead at halftime, and then they're just going to play soulless murder ball in the uh, in the second half. They're not going to really score, but they're not really going to let the Houston Texans score either in the second half. I don't know about the over ever in a game that the Eagles play just because there are times where they just shut it down on offense because they don't need to do it anymore. Uh but I like that minus 14. I think, think they're going to cover minus 14. They're probably going to win by 20, 30, something like that. But then again, the last time I said something along those lines, not only did they not win by 30, uh, they lost to the Bears. So yeah, that that is one thing. Uh, that being said, let's run through the picks one more time before I get you all out of the here. For the favorite, I have got Bengals minus seven versus the Panthers. Underdog, I'm taking the Bears plus five. Versus the Dolphins, I've got the over in the Vikings versus Commies, 43 and a half there for that over. Uh, Taking under 48 for the Raiders versus Jags. And for Thursday night, uh, tonight's game specifically, I am taking the Eagles at minus 14. Big old line, but I like the the Whirly Birds to cover in that one. And that's all we got there, folks. Hopefully a 5-0 slate. Uh, at the very least, hope for a winning record. Fingers crossed. Uh, knock on wood. Uh Yep, that, that window sill is wood, so knocking on wood there. With that said, that is all for this episode. We are at about like an hour 40, so got to get out of here. Uh, if you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy, take that opinion to the grave and tell people you loved it anyways. Uh, I release two episodes a week during the football season, three this week, because, I mean, why not? Trade deadline, it happens. Uh, NFL on Tuesday, college football plus Monday night football. Uh, recap on Thursdays. Any additions or changes, I'll let y'all know as they occur, which I did this week. Follow me on all my socials at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. If you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That is unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show in all caps to start the subject line. Oh, excuse me. So you can be categorized accordingly. Uh, thank you so, so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I have got no clue what I'm talking about. Uh, quick shift of gears from that fast pace, though, to kind of uh, get you out of here. Wanted to put this at the end because it doesn't fit anywhere else in this sort of upbeat, uh, fast pace, snap sort of story show. I don't know what the fuck you would even call this. Either way, um, no fun fact today. I just want to end this thing by saying rest in peace to Adam Zimmer. Uh, former co-defensive coordinator for the Vikings, current offensive assistant for the Bengals, son of Mike Zimmer. Um, not even going to talk about the nepotism at this point. Not the time, Caleb, not the time. Uh, details are scant. Honestly, none of our business. Doesn't even matter. He was only 38. That's that's the main thing here. That's the saddest thing. And just thinking about what Mike Zimmer and that whole family is going through right now. I mean, it, it hit me right in the chest when I first heard the news. I mean, it's hit me in the chest now just, just thinking about it. In in ways that this sort of news generally doesn't with me, I mean, the Vikings connection kind of hit home with me. Also, just, uh, man, uh, uh, the, the thought of uh, 
The, the thought of a father burying a, a son is that's just the worst. It's yeah, it, it, that one is a thought that always that that's a thought that always gets me. So yeah, I just leave it there. Thoughts, prayers, condolences, all of it is going towards the entire Zimmer family. For me, I'm sure every Vikings, Bengals, NFL fan out there right now, uh, thoughts and prayers going to the Zimmer family. Rest in peace to Adam Zimmer. With that though. Uh, hope you enjoy the weekend of football. Hope the hope the sadness does not bleed into the weekend. Uh, should be a good one, folks. See y'all on Tuesday.